bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. In today's episode of Secrets of Staffing Success, you're going to hear from Mike Burnham, the CEO with Workforce Unlimited and Arivo Professionals. And in Mike's organization, culture isn't just something they talk about, it's something they live. It's actually the key to how they survived 2020 and the foundation for their strategic growth in 2021. And as you'll hear, culture isn't just about how you treat your internal employees. It's really about thinking about how it impacts your temporary associates. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by NetSocial. Do you struggle to get your employees to share content on social media? Do you struggle to get all the value you can out of LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? Well, that's why we put together NetSocial. Lots of staffing companies are creating great content, but when it comes to getting a response, when it comes to recruiting, you need to get people to see your content, you need to get people to react. And to get more response to your social content, you need to get your team to share. NetSocial is a software product that automates social sharing. It allows you to centrally control the content that's being created, so you're in charge of your message, while keeping your people in charge of what they're sharing. If you'd like to know more about NetSocial, check out our website at www.netsocialapp.com. Now on to Secrets of Staffing Success. So, Vicki, I'm, I'm really excited about today's edition of Secrets of Staffing Success. Um, we're going to talk to Mike Brannock, who is somebody we've worked with for a few years, but you haven't really had a chance to meet. I think um, it's going to be a, a really interesting conversation. I didn't know until I saw some of the background just how similar our backgrounds were. But before I blather on too long, let's get Mike on here. So I want to introduce everyone to Mike Brennick, who is the CEO of not one, but two staffing companies, Workforce Unlimited and Arivo Group. Mike, welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success. Thanks, David. And uh, Victoria, it's great to meet you. And I'm really happy to be here. We're excited to talk with you. So, so Mike, oh, go ahead, Vicki. No, I'll go ahead, David. You're fine. See, this is the, the fun of two different co-hosts. We always run into one another. Anyway, so Mike, um, we're going to j- jump in and talk about your business and some of your goals and the challenges going on in staffing right now. But as I mentioned in the, uh, the opener there, I was surprised how, how similar our backgrounds are. So would you mind just telling everybody a little bit about how you got into staffing? Sure. Really, I, uh, I grew up in staffing. Uh, my mom started workforce in uh, 1987. Uh, she was, um, I'll, I'll never forget coming by to see the new office because uh, my sister and I uh, pulled up with our dad and uh, it was right next to a Domino's pizza. And we were really excited about, we're going to get Domino's all the time. Um, but uh, so I grew up in it, uh, left uh, for college and I uh, got into commercial banking right out of college and um, continued a conversation with my mom about uh, joining the company at a certain point. And after about 10 years in commercial banking, I, I came over to try to help tell her story and uh, grow the organization. You aren't by any chance an only child too, are you? <laughs> no, no, I have, a, I have a sister. 
but David, I'm a, uh, uh, David must be an only child. David's an only child and he has a banking background. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, y'all met at the uh, bank, right? We sure did. We were both in IT though. We weren't in the front end of the bank. We were in the back end making computers work, doing fun things like that. Yeah, ironically, I was supporting the HR department in a bank. So I just, I knew I was destined to be in the staffing industry. And, and just like you, my parents were in the business from 68 to 98. Um, so uh, Vicki and I got into the, the family business sort of at the end. Um, after a long story, we won't bore you with about how we, uh, we tried to start a software company. And that's where I uh, got our real master's degrees in learning how to do everything wrong. <laughs> But this isn't about us, Mike. Let's, it's about you. So tell us a little bit about uh, Workforce Unlimited and Arivo. Sure. Uh, well, as I mentioned, Mom uh, started Workforce Unlimited in 87. It's uh, primarily a light industrial staffing firm that does some office admin work. Uh, our footprint uh, is made up of 10 offices ranging from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, up to Roanoke, uh, Virginia. Um, we, uh, so we, we service uh, really that three state area as well as um, a couple, I'm sorry, <laughs> really a three state area, uh, a few markets right outside of uh, North Carolina down into uh, South Carolina and Georgia a little bit. Um, uh, Arevo Group, uh, really now uh, we renamed uh, Revo Professional um, and, and both companies are, um, we say are members of the Arevo Group family, but Arevo Professional is a niche IT firm focused on uh, ERP, uh, HRIS implementations and solutions, uh, and we're in the process of getting ready to stand up a um, actually a, a digital marketing um, vertical. So um, both uh, um, you know both companies operate their own uh, chain of command or front office um, command, uh, their own org charts, their own processes and, and technology, uh, but back office and uh, kind of executive leadership. Um, is shared by the two entities. Oh, that's an interesting structure. So you're CEO of both of those, and you have a leadership team that's, that runs both of those. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, e each of those companies have, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a front office leader who runs uh, the staffing and recruiting and sales. And uh, they work with the executive team um, individually focus on each, each business separately uh, to help grow and uh, expand. Is your mother still involved in the business at all? Uh, she's not. She, um, she transitioned out as a, uh, as a formal leader back in 2015 and uh, remained on our advisory board until 2018. And then she um, unfortunately uh, got sick with um, a rare form of dementia. So she uh, she stepped away completely at that point, but she's she's still a great uh, community ambassador and uh, you know our biggest uh, cheerleader. And that's fantastic. And we, that transition in family business it's actually one of the hardest things. And I think most people don't really appreciate the the challenges of a family business. Uh, it was actually my my major in graduate school was in entrepreneurial management, and I did a focus study in family business. I remember one of the professors saying, he goes, most businesses, you have this, this triangle between executives or, or management, employees, and customers. He said, that's already a tough triangle. Now you got to add another point to it for family. 
And it's not one degree more difficult. It's like an order of magnitude more difficult to balance. And so congratulations. I'm sorry about your mom, but congratulations to you on making the successful transition. So in terms of running your two businesses, uh, tell us a little bit about what makes you successful? What's helped you to grow both these companies? Well, one of the reasons I left banking was because I felt like my mom had a great uh, story and I wanted to share it and uh, replicate it. Uh, she really had not uh, been intentionally focused on growing the organization, although she, she did experience growth and it was mainly through word of mouth and referrals uh, because of what a great job they did. Uh, our whole market, we still dominate and run. I know there's a lot of you know, maybe smaller local staffing companies that, that do that. Um, but uh, we, we've continued to dominate that market. And our goal is to, you know, dominate the markets that, that we um, get into really using uh, two fundamental, uh, I think, um, uh, principles that, that she really brought to the table. One was um, integrity and, you know, doing the right thing, following uh, the law, no matter how challenging that might be. Uh, following customer requirements, no matter how challenging that might be. I know we see a lot of uh, disregard for, for both of those things in the industry. So we really wanted to uh, set the bar high as it related to, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, the other thing was she just really wanted it to be a great place to work and, and have a great culture. And it always has been. Uh, one of my favorite stories, um, one of our employees who's been with us about 18 years, I think you've done some work with Allison Petit, David. Um, but Allison loves to tell the story when she was a little girl at the Christmas parade and she would see the workforce float come down and it would be my mom and a couple of her key staff members, you know, dressed up in, uh, you know, suits and on this float. And, uh, you know, they called them the workforce girls and said, you know, she couldn't wait to, to grow up and be a workforce girl. Uh, so it's one of my it's one of my favorite stories. And I think it really speaks to um, the level of um, professionalism and the example that my mom was trying to set. Uh, for other folks in the community. That's a great story. It's a really great story. So how did your mom influence your leadership style? And oh, that's a hard you, question. I know, but I'm not asking <laughs> you, I'm asking Mike. <laughs> and he's <up> yeah. <laughs> because that integrity and great culture, those are great. That that's But being a leader in that organization, how, how would she influence you? So it's a great question. I'm, for one, I would say, um, you know, she's always been someone who really just knows how to connect with folks. Um, she always remembers every small detail and everyone feels important uh, who uh, used to work with my mom or interact with my mom. So, um, you know, that's something that I'm not as good at that but I absolutely saw how important it was um, to connect with folks and make them feel uh, important, uh, especially if you're trying to lead and inspire people to something uh, that you're trying to create. Uh, so, you know, I think what I learned from that is if I have a vision uh, or a future that I'm trying to create um, and I have key folks that are a part of that, uh, I, I intentionally try to take time to focus on what's important to them, what goals do they have professionally and personally, and, and try to help uh, align my professional goals and our, our vision and our future that we're trying to create 
with the same future that they want to create. If they can see themselves in uh, our future, uh, the vision of our organization, and they get excited about it, then I think that inspires uh, loyalty and commitment. And, and those are, I think that's probably the, one of the biggest things that uh, my mother taught me. That's really awesome. Um, I, I think that really resonates with me. That's one of the things that I really try hard to do with our team is to really know, you know, where are they headed and how can I help them get there? Even if that means at some point they're going to leave Haley Marketing to attain those goals. It's just so important to make sure that they're getting value out of our relationship and, and working in Haley Marketing Group. And for what it's worth, that's also the part that I'm not good at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it Mike, that does kind of lead to, to one of the things that we discussed in advance of this, which is just managing culture and the cultural disruption that's going on and, and the challenge it becomes to lead an organization. So one of the things you mentioned is that traditional forms of engagement just aren't adequate anymore. Would you mind talking a little bit about what that means to you? Sure. Um, I, I mean, I think when folks look back, uh, over the past 12 months, obviously the staffing industry has been, um, it's been hit hard, um, not as hard as some industries, but it's been hit hard and um, especially the LI space. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, with um, some of the stimulus um, items and measures, you know, we've been able to benefit. Um, I'm not talking about unemployment and stimulus checks by any means, but, um, you know, there were elements to this that I think it was a mixed bag for staffing. Um, but so, so as we go into this, this new norm, and I know everybody hates that word, but, um, you know, we're a, uh, I mean, we're a 10-year best place to work uh, recipient. Um, we've always had an incredible culture. And I can tell you, and I look back at what um, our folks have gone through, not just with our organization, not just with the stress and the demand um, of, you know, how difficult recruiting has become, but all of the things that they're dealing with in their personal lives, whether it be the virtual learning and confusion around, you know, children, um, family members getting sick with COVID, being quarantined, losing jobs. I mean, you just think about all of these factors and, um, you know, mental well-being, uh, mental health and, uh, and well-being of our staff is really, really important. And I think what I've noticed is that traditional forms of engagement, the things that we've always done that made us the best place to work, um, just aren't working because um, there's things that folks are dealing with that are much serious, much, you know, much more serious than normal, much more difficult than normal, and really, really taxing uh, their mental health and, um, um, you know, this, this uh, fulfillment that folks have historically gotten out of, you know, work and life, given that both have been disrupted. So how are you dealing with that? Because we're thinking about, you know, you're in a business <laughs> that's so metrics driven. It's high transaction volume. And right now with what's going on with recruiting, we're recording this in the, uh, the middle of April, 2021. And recruiting is probably the toughest anyone in the industry has seen in their careers. Now think about what it's like if I'm in sales and my orders are going unfilled, if I'm a recruiter and I've got no calls, no shows at a level I've never seen. How are you pivoting to help people still work, but have that mental health? Well, I think first and foremost is we're just acknowledging that, that it's present. Um, uh, letting folks know that we realize um, we're, we've all been uh, challenged and 
you know, taxed mentally and emotionally uh, through this whole thing. So I think sometimes just acknowledging that and taking a little bit of pressure off or focus off of the numbers and driving the numbers uh, in, in business results and objectives. I'm not saying disregard them, but let's not make that the number one sole focus. Um, so we, um, and we, we've acknowledged, you know, what's happening with folks. We've brought in, um, we've, we've really increased, especially around our wellness strategy, things around mental health, well-being, and helping folks um, just kind of take a break from uh, kind of the insanity and the pressure and the chaos, um, you know, given the increase in no-shows and um, all the things that we're, we're dealing with. Um, so a lot of things, um, I think, around that, I mean, even, um, med- you know, meditation uh, webinar we did, giving people the ability uh, to be exposed to that and learning how good it can be to literally just pause for a few minutes to breathe and slow your brain down. Um, so acknowledgement, I think, and, and providing and exposing resources to try to help provide support, I think is the first step. I think you also mentioned something else, just in that acknowledgement, being vulnerable with your staff and showing them as well that we're all going through this and, and each person, even the leadership team and the person that, that used to sit next to you, everybody's dealing with this in some way and they're having a challenge and just being part of that group, I think helps to bring people together a little bit and realize you're not alone in this. I think it's really important to to show that. And as leaders, I think it's important for people to understand that we're dealing with it too. So Mike, uh, I know you're a member of EO like we are, and this is completely reminding me, there's a from here in Buffalo, his name is Brian Bro, And we actually brought him in for our staff. He, He, he teaches this principle of, we, we refer to as the Brian Blob. Um, he draws a picture of an iceberg. And, and he said, the iceberg, you know, the top, top of the iceberg is what you see of others. But individuals' life experiences, they're all below the surface. And so an event you see on the news or that no-call, no-show that happened today, that impacts you differently than somebody else because you don't know somebody's complete life history and how they're going to react to it. And with this focus on mental health, and that's what we wanted Brian to do for our staff is just make everybody aware is we're all seeing the world through different lenses. And we may be seeing the same news stories. We may be seeing the same work issues, but we're filtering it differently. And it's created a level of stress that's pretty unprecedented. We have to be empathetic. And I love your strategy of you know, acknowledge, provide the resources, and it's people first, metric second. Yeah, and it's it's funny. We didn't talk about this uh, beforehand, but ironically, uh, we've had Brian do an advanced form series with us. I've seen the iceberg uh, principle, um, but I do want to go back to something that uh, Victoria mentioned, and and that was uh, you know being vulnerable as a leader. And uh, you know we we talk a lot about um, authentic leadership, and I think vulnerability vulnerability is an is a meaningful element in that in this time. And you know I've absolutely shared examples of things that I've uh, um, been challenged with, you know, both at the professional level and the personal level with our entire staff. We do a monthly all hands call uh, to really celebrate results and, and, um, you know, talk about what's happening. Now during COVID when things were bad, you know, it was a very transparent 
candid discussion about where the business was and, and what we were doing to get it on track. Uh, but, you know, we're, we've been moving back into, in 2021, more success and celebration. But an element of that uh, was definitely sharing examples of how, um, you know, I, my, I'm personally struggling with um, the balance of all the things coming at us, uh, you know, whether it's professional, you know, personal with family, um, you know, with the, the pandemic, you know, all those things. And I think that absolutely helps uh, create that empathetic connection with your team to help continue to lead in, in, a, um, in this kind of unprecedented world that we're living in right now. I think it's super important to be able to do that. But I love what you said about success and celebration because that part of it, it's nice to hear that we're getting back to some of that because I think for so long, we were focused on how do we get through the next day? How do we get through the next day? And now to be able to celebrate some of the successes that are happening as we start to hopefully transition out of this pandemic and this period of chaos. So Mike, one of the things I'd like to do a little pivot right now, because I know one of the things that uh, you wanted to talk with us about is uh, acquisitions and opportunities for acquisition, because it's one of your growth strategies. Uh, I know it's also one of your lessons learned was something that didn't go so well. So would you mind kind of sharing your view on acquisitions, then talk a little bit about what you're looking for and where you're looking to go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think acquisitions can be a really important and critical part of a growth strategy. And, and honestly, once you get to a certain level, maybe, you know, maybe it's a hundred million, maybe it's somewhere, you know, north of that, um, organic growth becomes more and more difficult. So acquisition growth is a, a really great strategy to continue to keep up with that, you know, double digit pace of growth that you've, um, you know, you get used to experiencing if you're doing really, really well as a, as a small organization, you know, going through that, that growth strategy. Uh, and we've always uh, made acquisitions a part of the growth strategy. In my uh, roughly 10 years being here um, after leaving uh, banking, we've conducted, I think, four, maybe five acquisitions. We've looked at many more than that. Um, I would say first and foremost, you, um, uh, we don't even look at the numbers initially. We sit down with the owners to talk about uh, what's important to them, what their goals are, what their culture's like, what their values are, uh, because frankly, there has to be an alignment on culture and values, or we just don't believe it's going to be successful. Um, so how you go about that and what strategy uh, you apply to, you know, vetting that out, I think is, is up, up to you. Um, but, you know, for us, um, it, it's, it's very much sitting down and having conversations to really test um, whether or not we um, uh, share similar values and have a culture uh, that uh, folks are proud to be a part of the organization. So I'll push on that a little bit. You, t you talked about being able to vet out that culture and it, it can be different for everybody. And I, and I know there's lots of techniques when it comes to interviewing people, but how about an acquisition? What do you do to figure out that there's a cultural fit with the company you're looking to buy? That's a great question. Well, I mean, first and foremost, if you sit down and have a conversation with someone, you can learn a lot about them and how, you know, what their uh, leadership uh, strategy is or their le leadership philosophy, how they lead and what's important to them. Um, a lot of times it's just in how they do business. Um, you know, uh, what's their pricing strategy <laughs> when uh, they're looking at new business? If it's uh, match or beat your competitor's price, well, that's not a culture fit for us. Okay. Um, Good for you. So, uh, a bit, but I mean, 
but you can, you can learn a lot about how someone runs their business just in that initial conversation. Now, that being said, there are a lot of other things. You can look at, um, you can look at tenure. Uh, you can look at the background of newer staff or leadership that they brought in, um, you know, where they've worked. And, um, and some of these things, again, there are assumptions until you can really get to the point that you're able to vet them out completely. But you can start to draw some informed um, assumptions. I'm not going to say conclusions, but some informed assumptions about an organization, about their talent. Um, I mean, we typically will ask for um, a copy of performance ratings. For, for everyone, uh, again, in addition to um, uh, their tenure, so that we can do our own talent assessment without ever even meeting someone. Um, and then it's all relative, right? I mean, how I measure performance may be different than, uh, uh, than another organization. And depending on um, what they can or cannot provide tells you, uh, in some ways, it tells you how much you can rely on the data. But nonetheless, it's just another variable in vetting out those those cultures and ba- uh, that culture and those values. Excellent, thank you. But I, I would say this, since we're talking about acquisitions, and it is part of our strategy, uh, you know, we would love to find a, a great partner uh, between now and the end of this year. Um, you know, uh, ideally in the uh, light industrial space, maybe in the uh, technology space. Um, but you know, we're uh, that's the bulk of our business is light industrial. We're very comfortable with it. We know it inside and out. Uh, we're, we're viewed as a leader in every market that we're in. Um, uh, you know, um, and, uh, um, you know, if there's someone who is looking to exit or COVID kind of took the, uh, the last of their, um, you know, their energy and ambition out for wanting to do this again to another cycle, then uh, I'd love the opportunity to chat with them. Is there a target location or size that would be ideal for you? Well, in, in or around the footprint, ideally, we don't want um, uh, we don't want a, a large duplication of footprint. Uh, some is okay. Um, so anything you know in the Carolinas, Virginia, Georgia, Tennessee, um, uh, you know South, yeah, South Carolina. So I mean, in that general area, I'm not saying we wouldn't chat with somebody outside of that. Uh, if we've got clients that have locations uh, further outside of the footprint than that, uh, which we do. If, if that just happened to uh, line up, that would, that would certainly be a reason that we would look at someone outside the footprint. So um, some of it just comes down to having a conversation to find out whether or not there is a synergetic uh, factor or multiple synergetic factors for us to consider. Right, excellent. So if uh, anybody listening, if you're thinking that uh, this is the last time I'm going through these crazy cycles, um, or you're just looking for an opportunity for an exit or a different growth strategy, um, reach out to Mike because great organization. And as we heard earlier, you know, great place to work, great place to put people first. So if that fits your culture, please reach out to Mike. All right, Vicki, before we run out of time, um, want to make sure we spend a little bit of time talking about what's going on in the world right now, uh, particularly as it impacts recruiting and also related to that, where you see the industry going in the next, and I would normally say three years, but I'm happy to say in 2021, uh, came coming out of the executive forum this year. It was interesting hearing everybody talk about its apps, its technology, its technology. But now it's really all recruiting. And so, Mike, where do you see your business going this year? Well, if I've learned anything with uh, 2021, it's that um, I can't project uh, three weeks, much less three years. Right? It is uh, it is very volatile uh, due to so many external factors. 
Um, but in general, I do think that this is a, we have a finite period of, of recruiting difficulty time that, um, you know, uh, if we use past experience that you got to believe the closer we get to uh, the fall because of the unemployment, because of the vaccination strategy, because of the, the world just being able to catch up with the pent-up demand, things have got to normalize, you know, by the end of the summer, fall, at least back into, you know, something more similar with what we were experiencing pre-COVID uh, with a low unemployment rate and, and hard-to-find talent. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, we have an opportunity in the staffing industry to, to really sit down with our customers and have uh, a strategic conversation and a conversation to educate them on what's happening in the market. Um, I do believe that there is a major um, shift in, uh, you know, just kind of talent management as a whole because of this virtual world we're coming out of. If, um, if we've got customers working seven days a week, um, you know, mandated overtime and, uh, you know, extremely strict attendance policies, we've got to point out to them data that demonstrates that is an outdated, it was an outdated model going into COVID. It is, I mean, it is obsolete and dinosauric uh, if you look at it uh, on a go forward basis, even in the LI space. Right now, you, in, you know, fast food and the manufacturing world have always kind of, you know, competed in terms of for the same talent. Um, that kind of shifted over the past maybe um, 15 to 20 years. But, um, but right now, you can, you, know, you can go to fast food and make 15 bucks an hour. There are states looking at pushing the $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, and I can uh, literally sign up for an app and kind of own my own business. I can absolutely have the autonomy and flexibility that works for me to work when I want and where I want you know, whether it's driving for Uber, delivering groceries, uh, you know, picking up target orders, just ask my wife, she can give you a laundry list of all the things apps exist for that folks who were working in the warehouses went to their cars where they felt like it was safer to work off of a mobile app. If you're not in tune with that as an LI customer and as, a, as an LI staffing company, we're not talking to our clients about that. We're missing the boat. We're going to get left in the dust by the folks that are being more thoughtful and more innovative uh, as it relates to how we're going to manage um, labor moving forward. Great observations. Yeah, very great observations. What, what, is the, what is the recommended action then? Because you are losing so many people to these apps and alternatives and robotics are coming in and things are changing. So what is, what is the solution? Well, I think one of the one of the easiest things our clients can can consider. I'm gonna and I'm gonna walk y'all through. I may I may regret this since there's a ton of staffing companies on there, but I'm gonna walk you through a conversation that I've had with with number of customers here recently, and that is when I start uh, asking them about considering a flex a flex schedule, and they say, "Oh, you mean a mini shift?" I say, "No, a flex schedule. A mini shift is a mandated uh, block of time." you know, on a, you know, five days a week or seven days a week or three days a week, whatever it is, I'm talking about a flex schedule. And initially what a client says is that'll never work. I can't do it. And then, you know, so I say, well, give us, give me a second. Let's see if we can peel back the, the onion here and get to what really may be able to help. Most of the time, what I find most companies have either one core position or a core period of time throughout the day or throughout um, 
uh, a shift that is absolutely critical is fully staffed. And it can be a two hour, four hour window. Um, it can be a couple of days a week, but um, it's, it's a certain period of time or it's a certain job position. So if, if you look at the entire organization, you say, all right, well, let's start either at this critical time or with this critical position and talk about right now, um, you know, what's happening with that? Or, or do you have the fill rates that you need? We were talking to a client literally a couple of days ago, the plant manager and HR manager and folks throughout the organization are coming in to fill in this one job because it's understaffed. So when I start hearing those kind of things, I say, okay, so wait a minute. If we could use technology to help, you know, really simplify scheduling, and we could think really out of the box um, about having folks sign up in, in an autonomous way for a three-hour block for whatever days of the week that they need to, you know, or that they choose to, um, could we not, I mean, could that not ultimately help solve the problem? And there's always things that they say, well, you know, they've got to do at least a week of training on first shift. Okay, that's fine. If the long-term strategy is I can work two or three days at four hours at a time, and I can tell you every Friday what that is, that's, that's innovative. That's totally out of the box. That's the kind of conversation that we're having with customers today. I think it starts with flexibility and thinking differently about how you manage uh, the workforce especially if it's unskilled or lightly skilled labor, um, you know, and you're open, you know, whether it's five, seven days a week. Oh, I love that. I'd say, have you gone to the, the mobile app at this point or not yet? You're just working on the, the, the logistics of the process with your clients. So uh, it's a great question. Um, we have, we're in the process of, of looking at some solutions. I'm not going to name any of them. I mean, everybody knows what they are, but um, uh, I'll let you name some of them, David, but I, I just don't want to influence what somebody does or doesn't do. There's many options that, that you can do, but we're exploring a couple with some customers um, to beta test uh, you know, this, this idea. We did this manually pre-COVID in 2019, and I want to I share this data point again. Another factor that I share with customers that get them sold, you know, pretty quickly. We did this on a four-hour shift basis that required, I think, three, it was either three or four days minimum um, commitment, but a four-hour block uh, of time for a specific customer in 19 before we got into COVID. We were tracking it manually. 70% of the folks that signed up for this ended up working a full shift, a full 40 hours. It was wow. knowing they had... It was knowing they had the flexibility that got them committed to the opportunity. So uh, if you think about the LI space in particular, I mean, these folks have challenges, especially, I mean, just think about what challenges we have. People listening to this and, and, and you and Victoria, I mean, the challenges that we have that COVID have presented, you know, multiply that times all the problems that these other folks have, cars breaking down, people getting sick. Um, not, you know, sometimes not being able to keep a stable job, court dates, all the things that come with it. It doesn't make them bad people. It just means they need to know that they have flexibility. And a lot of times they don't, they don't feel like they have that. And that's one of the reasons I think turnover ends up being high. They don't call us and tell us that they're, they're walking off because they figure the job's over anyway. There are a lot of things like that, that if we can provide flexibility, I think we can get better. Uh, I know I've seen the data. We can get better fill rates. We can get better retention. 
That is fantastic. I love that. All right. I can't believe we're already up against our time window. So I, mm-hmm. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one other question because we asked you a question. Um, what can we, what do we need to know about you that we can't find on LinkedIn? And I loved your answer. I learned to smoke ribs in Memphis at the international barbecue contest. My mouth's watering. So tell me more. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I can't, I can't let all my secrets out. Um, I can't do that. I will, I will I say it. this. You can tell though. people how to staff and compete with you, but not the barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But, but I will say this. I will say this that when you're basting ribs, um, sugar turns them black. So a lot of people will use barbecue sauce mixed in the basing and things like that. You don't do that. Even if you use a vinegar base, that has got a lot of sugar that's really sweet. So if you're doing ribs and, and you're smoking them and you're having a problem with them turning really dark or really black, change your basting because you've got too much sugar in it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I can't think of a better place to cut it off. Mike, thank you so much. I, I learned a ton. This was great. Yeah, this is a good conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Beth. Wow, what a great conversation with Mike. It was so great to meet him. I never had the opportunity before, and I, I look forward to meeting him again and, and having more conversation. 30 minutes was too short. I don't know. You see, what we didn't record is the part where he said that I'm supposed to stop going out to conferences because you're the one who should be there now. So I don't know if I'm going to have him back again. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it too. And to me, the, the, maybe the biggest take home was his focus on culture. So we've heard that lots, right? Every business, put your people first, culture, you know, each strategy for lunch, all the, all the different truisms about culture. But he's living it. I mean, they were a best place to work 10 years. They sort of flipped the way they look at people in the pandemic as they put mental health over KPIs. And to me, though, the, the real key was that last little bit where he talked about giving the workforce flexibility. He didn't use the word control, but that's what I was hearing is people can control their lives when they have schedule flexibility. So now I can work and I can do the other things that I need to do to live my life without worrying about my job. So rather than just having to quit because I think I can't do something, I can work with my employer to, to do it. He just, he's living that culture from his company values to how he treats his internal employees, to how he works with his clients, to how he treats his temps. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I think um, that clearly comes from what he learned from his mom and what she set up in that business and the, the connection of people and, and being aware of what their needs are and you know it's a dignity really what it comes down to is knowing what people want and where they're headed and helping align with their goals and really inspiring people to to get where they're trying to go and remembering that it's not all business it's people we're staffing industry is about people and he's living that i thought that was really great i made the same connection i was writing all over my paper and flexibility and i wrote control and the labor dignity, having a safe place. And um, that's huge. The other one is it wasn't just in his business. Like when we talked acquisition strategy and he talked about culture fit before he even thinks about the numbers. And I remember back in the ancient days in in college, learning about M&A and that 75% of acquisitions fail because of a culture fit. And I'm sure everybody who does M&A realizes that. But even before you get excited about the growth opportunity by the numbers, is there's got to be that alignment on 
not, not just how we treat people, but how we run the business. Uh, if you step in and we're an organization that's all about hitting the metrics and the company we're buying is all about relationships, it's going to be a mess. And, and I like this process for trying to evaluate not just the seller, but the leadership team and how they really treat people to figure out, is our organization going to mesh? What else did you take out of today? There was a whole conversation in the very beginning about um, the change in how we have to work with our people because the mental well-being is being so challenged by what's going on with the pandemic. And, you know, a year of being shut in, you know, here in the North, we can't get out. Um, and so many restrictions and the stress of just and, and anxiety of just not knowing and acknowledging that and providing resources to his team and being vulnerable and, and letting them understand that they're not alone. All of that, I think, is so important. And, we, and it comes back to really, we have to treat people the way we want to be treated. And you have to really genuinely care. And that's what great leaders do. They care. And they care about their clients. They care about the people. And in this case, he's, he cares about the, um, the people he's placing, the temporaries that they're putting in jobs. Yeah, he said, I wrote it down as three bullets, acknowledge, resources, people first. I mean, that's just what he's living is, is acknowledging the reality of what people are going through. Acknowledge the fact that their perspective on life is different now than it was pre-pandemic. And even coming out of this, their perspective going forward is different. Their stresses are different. Uh, finding and putting the resources into place. And then, you know, as I mentioned, putting the KPIs below how we're treating people. I thought it was awesome. All right. Anything else you got from today? No, super powerful. And um, now I'm hungry for some barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh, thanks again to Mike Brannick from Workforce Unlimited and Revo Group. If you are looking to sell your staffing company, uh, Mike would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, and if you're just looking for great ideas, I hope you'll join us for the next edition of Secrets of Staffing Success. Thank you.